This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, and thanks for listening. I bet you said it or heard it uh, numerous times. I can't wait for this election to be over. The bookend of this statement was one we uttered last year when we said, I can't believe they're starting to campaign already. It's so early. Ugh. The end of the presidential election cycle is upon us. It is sad that we now have such a distaste for our own democracy. Whether you are a longtime member of the GOP, a yellow dog Democrat, or a libertarian who wishes less was more, or you are tired of the endless finger-pointing commercials. The time is almost upon us, so hang on and make sure you vote. At the Food Bank Council of Michigan, we know elections matter. Our most recent data indicates the problem of food security has gotten far worse over the past few months of the pandemic. Prior to COVID, we were making significant progress in the efforts to create a food-secure state. In February, 1.36 million residents of Michigan were food insecure. For the record, that is exactly 1.36 million people too many. Over 300,000 were children. However, the pandemic and the resulting unemployment have pushed those numbers up significantly. Today, we are at 1.9. Almost 2 million Michiganders are struggling to create food security on their own, and almost 600,000 are kids. I feel like we've lost ground in the last few months that took us years to gain. In addition, there's a heightened need. Winter is coming, and food supply is lessening from the USDA. If Congress and our own legislature do not co-create an emergency declaration of additional support for food, increased SNAP allotments, and PEBT, this winter will be long and definitely cold. Here to help us discern and understand this new reality is Carrie Calvert, from Feeding America National Office and the Office of Government Relations. Jerry Brisson joins me and Carrie in just a moment. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for checking back in with us. As promised, Jerry Brisson joins me. Jerry, nice to see you on Zoom, and we continue to do the show virtually well not virtually but we do it remotely you know we have an awesome producer who makes sure everything works and works well so we're grateful for mark and all he does and uh allowing us to maintain safe social distancing and still have a show so thank you mark a show that's uh, always dealing with the issue of food security across the state of Michigan. And to help us understand some of the happenings out of Washington, D.C., is our own Vice President of Government Relations from Feeding America, Carrie Calvert, who I think, Carrie, this might be your third or fourth time on the show. I think it might be. I can't remember if it's the third or the fourth, but thank you for having me back. 
So it looks like you just keep drawing the short straw out of the government relations <laughs> folks in Washington, D.C. for us. No, no, not at all. You guys just talk about the most exciting issues, issues that I uh, focus on a lot. So, um, you know, we keep meeting like this. Well, so let's, let's do our version of um, who's the next president. And we're asking you from your inside track there, because whoever is elected president, whether President Trump is reelected or whether Vice President Biden is elected as the new president for the United States of America, we will continue to have a food security challenge across the U.S., and particularly here in our state of Michigan. And we're going to want to know how we're going to work with that. So right now, on the spot, Carrie Calvert, Vice President, Government Relations, is going to give us her pick. Well, uh, I will do my best. And let me just say that this is informed by the very best updates on the 538 blog and podcast, just so you know where I'm getting my sources. Uh, there is no secret DC source. It's the same stuff that all of us listen to. Um, but I do think that based on how the polling is looking in some of the, the key states that um, the former vice president will will carry out the win there. Uh, I think some of those states like Florida and Pennsylvania, not quite sure he'll carry them this time, but um, you know, I think he'll pull out the win. All right, there you have it, folks. Right, right, Carrie Calvert makes her prediction right there. Jerry, how do you feel about that? Well, I feel like um, it's gonna be a very interesting week next week. And uh, my, my sense is, by, certainly by the polling data, that has been the, uh, the inclination. I still remain, um, how do I want to say this, curious to see how accurate it turns out to be this time around. But, uh, but I will say this, um, there's, there, it, we, we need to get past it so we can get on with the business of government. And the business of government needs to include another relief package of some kind for economic reasons and for reasons. I mean, I, I, I just read an article yesterday uh, in the Wall Street Journal about um, the number of people whose housing is at risk right mm -hmm. now because the mandates to not allow evictions are going to run out um, in the next month or two. And... Um, so that's going to leave a lot of people at risk of losing their housing. Some people haven't been able to pay their rent for months now. And so, you know, that's just one of the pressures building up in the community that, um, that is going to come to some conclusion. And so, you know, the business of government has to be concerned with taking care of all the people who are affected by the pandemic, whatever the status of the, of the vaccine is and all those kinds of things. And of course, those are the people we serve, the people who are on the edge of, of making ends meet or not quite making ends meet. And so we're expecting to see another little surge if we don't, particularly if we don't get some kind of a relief package uh, coming through. Well, I'll tell you one of the factors that I've looked at, and um, you know, I'm I'm I've seen a few more presidential elections than you two young people that are on this call here. Um, so let me tell you a couple of things that I look at, and one is uh, is the GDP going up, and if it is, uh, then incomes are going up. But right now, the GDP has been going down, but incomes have been going up primarily because of the the two previous stimulus packages. 
So anytime that people's personal incomes are going up, the incumbent uh, normally keeps the office, right? But this year, because the, the, the personal incomes are going up, not because of the economy, but because of the stimulus, I think it will be very difficult for the president to run the table as he did in 2016 with Arizona, uh, Florida, uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Michigan, Wisconsin, and, and Wisconsin. And now my secret sources tell me that actually Georgia, of all states, is in play and could flip from red to blue. Now, if Georgia win, if Georgia goes blue, go to bed early. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> it's done. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. But, you know, to, to Jerry's point, um, there's a lot of families that are struggling and the additional help for families, you know, the one-time stimulus checks, the um, uh, unemployment benefits and the additional pandemic unemployment insurance um, that was provided in earlier COVID relief legislation, that's gone away. Families and individuals and small businesses are struggling without additional help. So, you know, the a lot of, despite the best efforts of Nancy Pelosi and Secretary Mnuchin to negotiate the next package, um, you know, it was hard to imagine that happening before the election. Everything seems to have been at a standstill in terms of getting that final agreement sure. until the um, outcome of November 3rd is known. And meanwhile, communities and families are really struggling, and it's hard to imagine waiting until January, February, March for additional relief. You know, we're approaching winter season. Millions of people still aren't back at work. Um, there's additional um, virus numbers that are going up, and food insecurity um, is as well. Well, we're going to take a couple of minutes for this segment here, so let's play a quick game of over-under. So what's the electoral vote? What, how many electoral college votes will, Carrie, you predicted that Vice President Biden will win this election. What's his tally for uh, electoral college uh, votes? And then, Jerry, you get the choice of going over or under. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have to pick first? Oh. Yeah, yeah. You're oh. the expert here. No, oh, man. A am I feeling optimistic or am I... Or am I watching the news and feeling nervous? Yeah, um, both. <laughs> both. Oh, it's a combination. Okay. Um, you know what, um, Jerry? I'm gonna I'm gonna pick a mid range so that you can have a a true choice of going above or over. Like I'll take 290. You decide if you want wow. to if you're reading things really narrow or if you're feeling like you know the vice president's ground game. Or the president's lack of one is is just you know going to make all the difference. So, yeah, um, uh, I'll take over. Oh man! Wow! Over. I'll take over. Wow! All right! All right! I, well, I I get to pick the uh, bottle that you have to buy for one another. Whoever wins, um, so that's there. You have it. Two ninety, and Jerry takes the over. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how y'all's predictions come out. Very excited. Kerry Calvert is with us, the Vice President for Government Relations for Feeding America, our national organization. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're back for another segment with Kerry in just a moment.
contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. We're back, everybody. Thanks for listening. Carrie Calvert joins Jerry Brisson and I. Carrie is the Vice President for Government Relations, and Jerry Brisson is the CEO for Gleaners Community Food Bank and also the chair for the Food Bank Council of Michigan's Board of Directors. Great predictions there in the in the in the segment, and um, and now I'm I'm really excited to talk about um, what this really means and what we've been going through with uh, with with uh, COVID nineteen, Carrie, and also you know the work with USDA. Um, what's what are we looking for even after the election? Whoever wins, whoever loses, we've got months ahead of us leading through winter and. Um, you know, and as the popular show says, winter is coming. So what does it look like for us um, with, with the commodities cliff? And explain to our listeners exactly what that is for us. Sure. Yeah, you're right. Winter is coming. And so, uh, you know, no matter what happens on November 3rd, we've got November 4th through January 20th of either, you know, uh, at least a, a lame duck session for the members of Congress that may not have been reelected and some end of year congressional spending bills that need to be um, dealt with so that the government stays funded and open, which is really important, particularly during a pandemic. Um, but also, you know, we could have a, a president that is a lame duck and awaiting, um, you know, the inauguration of Vice President Biden on January 20th. So we've got that, that, in between time where there's some legislative and maybe some administrative actions through USDA that could happen. And then it's really looking ahead towards, you know, if um, COVID stimulus legislation to help families in need doesn't happen at this December lame duck congressional session, uh, what does that look like uh, in terms of a 2021 legislation and how long is it going to be before families and communities get help? So first, the, the shorter term, which is a little bit easier to predict, we know mm-hmm. that Congress is going to come back and the ones that got reelected, they like to, to keep getting reelected. They're, they're heavily incented to finish that end of year spending bill, which is really important because we want to make sure programs like federal nutrition programs continue to be funded. And another government shutdown would not be great to make sure that, you know, child nutrition programs and SNAP benefits and things like that um, still are provided to people in need. Um, so let's, um, let's play out the predictions and, you know, assuming that Vice President Biden does get elected on November 3rd, what does it look like to engage with USDA in the next couple months? So first, we want to make sure that, um, you know, any flexibility or additional waivers they've provided or anything that needs to happen to make sure federal nutrition programs can operate in the pandemic are still happening. USDA mm-hmm. has extended all the important child nutrition waivers until, uh, you know, through the end of this school year. That's great. They've got funding. That's great. You know, the SNAP emergency allotments, that's a monthly thing. And in your state sure. or others that might rescind that emergency um, designation, gee, well, now you're not going to have, families aren't going to have that SNAP emergency allotment anymore. Um, right. Uh, yeah, you know, gee, I don't know that your legislator legislature considered that, and that is a real shame, right? Because that is all, you know, millions of dollars that aren't in families' pockets each month. Sixty-one million dollars. 
right. not in our family's pockets. That's right. So, so for us, and as you know, Carrie and Jerry, you know because you live at boots on the ground every day. When people don't have $61 million to spend at the grocery store, where are they going to come? And so what we've done successfully now for the government, uh, both state and federal, we have dumped that problem onto the charitable sector. So they're going to come to our lines. And I'm sure that I know that Jerry and the team and the rest of the food banks here in Michigan are, are prepping for winter because it's coming. Right. So in some states like yours, and I don't think you're the only one, um, there's a few states now, like I think Louisiana is also about to rescind their emergency order. There's that loss of SNAP, um, you know, emergency allotments. You know, we've also talked about a potential food cliff that the food banks could expect. You know, USDA has had some temporary programs that have been helping the food banks, whether through additional food purchase and distribution programs over the last two years that, you know, help U.S. growers impacted by trade disputes and distribute the food through food banks or through the, the newer and very temporary Farmers to Families Food Box program, those, program, those food deliveries are ending by December 2020. So, uh, you know, we're looking at um, a potential 50% drop in food from USDA. And um, normally that's about wow, 25 to 30% of the food that the entire Feeding America network sees each year. It was 2 billion pounds of food last year out of 6 billion that uh, the Feeding America network collectively distributed. That's a lot of food, so we're pretty worried about that. And there's some actions we can urge USDA to take between now and January 20th to help with that. So yeah. that let me, is let me, what let me, we're doing. Let me, let me get Jerry's thoughts on this, um, this commodities cliff, carry, and then let's talk about what we can do Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to put it in perspective, um, our average amount of food that we were getting from the USDA prior to the pandemic and prior to trade mitigation was about 300,000 to 500,000 pounds a month. That would be what we would normally get. And our, and our monthly distributions would be somewhere between, um, oh, one and a half to three million pounds a month, depending on the month and seasonality of food and stuff like that. Now we're doing more like 6 million pounds of food a month during the pandemic, and 3 million of that's coming from the USDA right now. Hmm. So that includes the, the farm-to-families boxes, it includes the trade mitigation food, and it includes several of the other programs that the USDA runs that we, that we uh, benefit from. So, so here's, the, here's the kicker, though. All of it is being distributed and consumed. There is no food being put in a warehouse somewhere for later. It comes in and it goes out because people are coming to the food bank and to our partner agencies and to the mobile distributions in order to get the food. And so the, the, the concern really about the food cliff is we don't think those people are going to stop needing help in January. In fact, by our normal course of things, January, right after the holiday season, there's usually a little surge in the number of people that need help. A, because it's winter and cold and people have higher bills, but B, they just came off a two-week vacation where their kids didn't get any free and reduced meals in school. And so you usually have this double whammy the beginning of the year every year where you see this surge of people that need help. Well, if you add that surge 
to the fact that these programs are expiring, you end up with a pretty untenable situation. And that's what we're concerned about. Now, fortunately, I mean, we do have, we're already planning for it now. And we're, you know, we're doing our best to make sure that our distributions will be maintained at a high level while we, um, you know, live through that surge, whatever that might look like. That can only last so long. And so I'm not going to say that January is the cliff for us. It might be a little bit later based on what we're doing now to, to try to mitigate that and, and, um, and get some other food sources to, to uh, take the place of the ones that might be going away. But nonetheless, it's a, it's a huge problem we're going to be facing in the, in the first part of 2021. Well, this is a 50-50 split. Guys, we've got to take a quick break here. But what we're looking at is about a 50% um, uh, leveling off around the, the height and need that we're experiencing. I mean, in some parts of the state and um, at, during parts of the early part of COVID, it was between 70 and 100% increased need. But we think it's going to level out at around 50 on average. But then the 50-50 split is 50% more people needing help than what pre-COVID numbers gave us, and a 50% drop in food resourcing from the USDA. Man, that's a bad combination. And Carrie's going to help us understand what we can do about it in our relationship to the United States Department of Agriculture. She's Carrie Calvert. She's the Vice President for Government Relations for Feeding America. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're all three back in just a moment. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Hi, everybody. We're back here. Kerry Calvert, Vice President, Government Relations for Feeding America, our frequent guest here on our show. And Jerry Brisson, we're talking with Kerry. And Kerry, this commodities cliff, whenever it happens, right, between now and December, and our food banks are kind of, you know, working to extend that food out across the new year. You know, what can we do? What can our audience do? What can, what can people do to help here? Great question. So one of the things that uh, we're focused on is um, uh, asking USDA to help us um, make some food purchases. So USDA uh, a lot of times um, helps U.S. growers and producers when, you know, Let's, let's think of a Michigan crop. You guys tell me a Michigan crop that, like, what do people buy in, like, what grows in Michigan a lot? Apples? Cherries? Yeah, apples, milk. There's a lot of milk producers in Michigan. Potatoes, a lot of potatoes. Okay. All right. So we'll touch on, I'll touch on both of those as an example. So um, let's just say milk, right? Uh, let's say that there is too much milk being produced um, for the market because we've seen that happen. And sometimes it happens at certain times of the year, but let's say it's a consistent problem that there is too much milk being produced and not enough consumer demand for it. And we've seen that happen with the pandemic because with less food service um, outlets being open, right, for institutional mm -hmm. schools and you know consumer-facing businesses, there's a lot less cheese being um, purchased. So a couple things that could happen, producers could um, dump the milk, right? Dairy farmers could just dump the milk. It could go to waste. Or USDA could step in, buy that milk or buy that cheese and distribute it 
through food banks to people in need. Um, so USDA has that authority and that funding to do so. That is something the Secretary of Agriculture can decide to do without Congress telling him he needs to do that. So uh, we are asking USDA to proactively act to purchase any U.S. grown commodity produced com or grown commodity, um, you know, provide that market support during this stressful time for our nation's growers and producers and distribute it through food banks. That is, um, provides a lot of assistance to food banks every year and that would go a very long way toward um, helping address that food cliff and give some, you know, producers some certainty that, you know, the asparagus they planted in March and they've harvested and they don't have, you know, a, someone to purchase it, that there's something to be done with it, right? So that is the number one immediate thing we are asking USDA to do. Excellent. Excellent. And we're asking, when you say that we're asking, you mean the entire Feeding America network of 200 food banks that serve every county in America is asking. Exactly. We have asked our entire network to reach out to um, the head of the Agricultural Marketing Service under Secretary Greg Ibach and the head of the Food and Nutrition Service, uh, Deputy Undersecretary Brandon Lips, and urge them to make these purchases. And Excellent. I am thrilled, thrilled to say that so many food banks have already done so, which is really great to see. Yeah. Well, you can count us in for sure. I am thrilled to hear that. Uh, I expected nothing less. Um, <laughs> but this this brings up a, a broader point. You know, we've been talking a lot about how the federal government can provide support to families in need, right, during the pandemic, mm -hmm. and and the need to make sure that um, families can and individuals can meet their basic needs. Um, while the economy is in such fluctuation and while jobs haven't returned to sectors that are really impacted by the pandemic. But um, this is different in 2020 from what we saw in 2008. Um, and one of the key differences I see is how this pandemic is impacting our food supply chain versus the 2008 recession. The 2008 recession, we did see an impact on some businesses for sure. Less consumer spending, lower GDP, that will have an impact on businesses, but you didn't see the supply chain disruption that you're seeing this time, right? Sure. There wasn't, um, you know, 50%, consumers didn't all of a sudden switch 50% of where they're purchasing and consuming food. Um, you know, the big disruptions that we've seen in the food supply chain right now really, um, in a way, call out for a broader, more systemic response. Something that we've actually seen the senior senator from Michigan propose in some legislation earlier this year. And those ideas, I think, are getting a lot of looks from other members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, not only because they would provide some stability when the food supply chain is disrupted um, for growers and producers, but because it would provide resources to direct that to uh, people in need through food banks and other community organizations. 
Well, I think we're proud to say that we had some influence on that. that uh, Senator Stabenow and her team reached out to the Food Bank Council and I know specifically the Gleaners team in order to help uh, frame that concept. So it's um, it, there's some exciting things that could happen. And, um, you know, I know that Secretary Perdue has a, has a painting hanging in his office that is a picture of a red barn. And it says on that barn, it actually has writing on the portrait. It, it says, do right and feed everybody. And we'll just hope he continues to, to see it that way and make, that, uh, make, make those right choices to support our farmers, our growers, and also uh, work through the food bank network in order to distribute this food, which, um, which is a problem for the CFAP program. Uh, and not the, the, I understand from Jerry that the food was some of the best he'd ever seen in his career, but getting it the last mile, I would say, was troublesome for this program. Jerry? Well, <laughs> you know what? I hate to look a gift horse in the mouth, and this is the honest truth. That that program provided a huge amount of food and helped a whole bunch of people. And so I'm going to start my response by saying we are absolutely grateful for what we were able to do for the community because of that program. But like anything new and done in a hurry, and our good friend Rob Fowler from the Small Business Association said to us on this show, there's very little good legislation that happens in a hurry. <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, that while that's not necessarily legislation, they lifted a program up from nothing very quickly. And I think all things considered did a pretty good job, but there are a few really key elements of that program that were built into it that just didn't work the way people thought it would. And particularly, the, the distribution network just didn't have the truck capacity to, to do what the program initially promised, which is that the distributors of the food would literally go from the, their distribution center to the food distributions in the, in the community where their trucks would stay for the duration of the food distribution. Now, that's the last mile, right? It's when the people who need the food actually get the food. That's our, our insider <laughs> term for that part of the process. It's called the last mile. And, um, and it was intended to be a certain way, but in fact, the truck capacity and driver capacity of the distribution network, not food banks, mind you, these are food distributors, many of them huge, but they just didn't have that kind of capacity. And so it just, it broke down at that level. And so food banks ended up um, carrying a lot of that load by hook or by crook. Believe me when I tell you, I, I have my operations, my head of operations um, is an uh, absolute genius, and I can't believe all she did to, to make this thing work. But she did a phenomenal job, and I know that's true for the other food banks who face the same challenge, that the program as it was designed didn't actually work the way it was designed. And so there were other issues, too, when you put refrigerated, foods that need different temperatures in the same box together with other foods that need to be at different temperatures, you end up with a awkward distribution where it's a lot nicer for us if everything is separated by the temperature it needs to be held at. You know, stuff that, you know, obviously, if the last mile plan as design would have worked, would have been fine. It just didn't work out that way, right? So you learn, and hopefully the next iteration, and I hope there will be another iteration, we'll get those problems fixed. It'll be more efficient. It'll actually be cheaper, and we'll do even a better job than this time around. 
Well, I'll just clarify too that I wasn't I wasn't complaining, but I was <laughs> I was giving the message to our friend Senate Secretary Purdue that we stand ready to help him solve his last mile dilemma. There we and are. I think that our network could happily do that and we've communicated to that that to him personally. So Carrie, um, we got to give you the last word here on this work and what we're up against. And I'll just clarify for everybody. We put Carrie on the spot. She made a she made her prediction for who's going to win the the White House. But honest to God, we'll work with anybody, anywhere, anytime to help solve this problem, won't we, Carrie? Oh, absolutely right. You know. Um Different administrations have different policy priorities that they may support, and some we will agree with and some we won't. We, we center our policy priorities and the goals we have around the people we serve and what will help us address food insecurity and hunger and need in the community. And certainly, you know, there may be some proposals that um, the Trump administration or USDA has made that we don't always agree with, and we respectfully share what our... Um, you know, difference of opinion might be. And there are other areas where we have been aligned and we thank them for their support and for, um, you know, their creativity in, in finding a solution. Certainly the CFAP Farmers to Families food boxes have been one of those, um, you know, really well-intentioned programs. And mm -hmm. for all of the additional food that it connected with people in communities, we are definitely thankful for that. And I think we've learned how to do it um even better, you know, perhaps through more established programs and distributing through USDA distribution sure. programs like TFAP. Um, I'd say um, if you're going to uh, leave me with a last comment, I'd say no matter what happens on November 3rd, our work's still going to be there on November 4th, right? We're still going to be getting up and figuring out how are we going to um you know, address an average of 50 to 60% increase in need, you know, food banks across the country, when we've been mm -hmm. tracking it, as you guys have been so kindly giving us the details. And right now, it's averaging out to about 60% increase in need since the start of the pandemic. Um, we think right. that's going to continue over the next um, six months or so as well. And as we look at that and declines in food, um, we're left to think what's next and how do we address this? So um, I look forward to waking up on November 4th and uh, figuring out how exactly we're going to do that. I do know that with the support of network members like you and your community of supporters that are really engaged in this, that we'll be able to make a difference. Well, you are making a difference, and we appreciate you standing in the gap on behalf of food banks, but particularly for the families that these food banks across America and particularly here in Michigan serve. Carrie Calvert, our, um, I don't know, I don't, we, we might have to put you on staff. You're on the show so often <laughs> and we appreciate you keep, you continue to draw that short straw and come back and talk with Jerry and I. Thanks for making us better, Carrie, and thanks for standing in the gap for the families we serve. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. Jerry and I are back. Jerry Carey Calvert, standing in the gap there in Washington, D.C. What are your closing thoughts? 
Well, you know, it's certainly interesting times ahead. I'm glad we have Carrie on our team working hard for the people we serve and working hard for communities all over the country in her role with Feeding America. She does a phenomenal job. She really knows her stuff. And, uh, and as, as we said there, whoever is elected, whatever happens in November, um, we're going to be there working with, with the people that need to serve this community, and our elected officials are at the very top of that list. So Carrie is awesome. And uh, we're just delighted to have her with us. Well, time for a little food for thought, Jerry. You know, I've been quoting you a lot these past few weeks. Things that you've taught us about this work, this mission of creating food security. And often, Jerry says, you will end a strategic conversation with the phrase, steps at a time. And what you failed to tell me about that is sometimes on this march to a food-secure state, some of those steps are backwards. <laughs> They're detours, roadblocks, and some of those steps are uphill. But I guess you figured out I was smart enough to realize that for myself. Steps at a time. And some of them, yes, are backwards. And COVID has dealt us a tough blow more food insecure kids, seniors, and families than we've seen in a long time. But here we go. Thrown back for sure, but forward we march, even if it's over territory we've already tread. We will do it because even though it's hard, it matters for those we did it for before, and the distribution of emergency food matters for those who need it today. We will do it all again until we reach the blue skies of no pandemic and the oasis of a food secure state. You come along the journey with us and help us keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.